Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with the author of Violence of Mind and discuss immersion training. I want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. My co-host, Big Keith, is in the house. Keith, what's going on, baby? You know it, man. I'm doing good, brother. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It was good to see you earlier uh, at the uh, the event for the kids. And yeah, I got to see some cra- the costumes are just getting crazier and crazier. I know, I you know. know. Not um, like when I was a kid, man. You'd uh, slap together some silly costume and you know be just, all right. Just, just go out, <laughs> just go out and trick or treat, right? Yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, you got any, uh, any good plans coming up for the weekend? I'm actually going to a bachelor party. Okay. Yeah, a little uh, top. Was it top golf? I, I thought you were going to say something else. No, you started no, with no, 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 no. If, if it gets to that, I'm out, man. I, I stay, I stay out of those things these days, man. Uh, that's funny. So yeah, no, uh, but a little, little fun. It's actually uh, cousin Kyle. Oh, okay, yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so when it comes to buying ammunition, you need to look for a product that is accurate, reliable, and if possible, reasonable in price. New Republic ammunition from Target Sports USA checks all three of these boxes and comes in six popular calibers. Be sure to sign up for their Ammo Plus membership at targetsportsusa.com, which gets you 8% off all ammo purchases, free shipping, priority alerts, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. And I want to get in this show. We're going to do this. I'm very excited for tonight's guest. Um, I, I am too. I, it's, it, he's an author. That I read this book a while ago. Keith, you did as well. I believe Ben DeWalt actually recommended it. Yeah, I don't, I think you read it first. I don't remember. I, I, I'm i probably like, uh, it was maybe like six months ago. Maybe yeah, a longer. but it, it really was like an eye opener in a lot of things I believe I felt like were, the book really spoke to me. So if you're listening and you really in, enjoy this interview, I think, I think you guys are going to love it. Go on to Spotify and you le- tell me what you think of it. Tell me, tell me your comments. Tell me your thoughts. I want to know. If this is the kind of content you want, what you found valuable about it. And if you're on Apple, leave us the five star and just leave a comment. It could be about the episode, it could be about the show. But I really want to know what people think, especially about the content we're putting out there. Today's interview is brought to us by Flatline Fiber Co. Flatline makes everything from slings to dump pouches to their brand new IFAC pouch, which isn't even that brand new anymore, but still pretty new. (laughs) We recently did a thorough review of their IFAC and we were super impressed. Carries everything you need in a small, manageable size. I highly recommend checking out all their handmade products at flatlinefiberco.com. But to get an even better deal, make sure you use the discount code GUNEXPERIMENT10 at checkout to get 10% off. So today's guest is a self-defense and firearms instructor with intimate knowledge and experience with a high-level criminally violent attackers. He is also a strength and fitness coach and the author of the books Violence of Mind and Beyond Uda. Please welcome Varg Freeburn to the show. Varg, how you doing? Uh, good, good. Thanks for having me on. Of course, thanks for being on. So before I get into kind of uh, t- picking your brain about stuff, I got to tell you, many, many moons ago, I uh, started getting into podcasting in terms of as a listener. And back then I used to listen to uh, Daniel Shaw. And you, of course, have uh, collaborated with him on many occasions. You guys did a, uh, did a show together, I believe, for a while. And... Back then, it was like you—you you were just this guy Varg, you know. Like I just heard you on the air, <laughs> and then I read your book, and now you're on the show. So I just want to tell you that the I've followed you for a while, and it's a, an honor to have you on the show. 
Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Of course. So a major tenet of your book, Violence of Mind, is about knowing one's personal mission. And you, you sort of say that a bunch in the book. You preface this with your personal story of being raised in a violent atmosphere, and it culminates with a traumatic event when you were 18 years old. So I feel like that sort of sets the stage for uh, a lot of the conversation that we're going to have when we talk about violence. Could you share your background with our listeners so they have a better understanding of your intimacy with the idea of violence? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the quick, you know, the quick version of it, uh, basically, I was born, you know, to a single teenage mother, grew up in what is practically was a, a dope house. Um, many of my aunts and uncles, you know, everybody was involved in drugs and crime. Some of my uncles were, um, you know, club affiliates or gang members, uh, depending on, you know, which which thing they were into. And a lot of uh, a lot of violence, a lot of extreme violence. You know, stabbings, shootings. I had an uncle murdered, I had a best friend murdered, <clears throat> had a cousin murdered, and uh, so it was very common back then. Uh, this was Youngstown, and uh, eighty-five to ninety-five, of course, was the big explosion from where we went from the cocaine wars, which centered around Miami and in the, the southern part of the country, that exploded into the the crack game, which took the the criminal the violent criminal wave out into the entire country i don't know if anybody remembers those days but you know compared to 2017 2018 murder rate was 40 50 percent higher in some cities back in you know 91 92 93 as it was compared to like 2018 so it was a pretty hot time back then and uh there was a lot of violent crime there was a lot of gang activity there was a lot of, of new type of drug activity that just hit the street, you know, and uh, it was a pretty chaotic atmosphere. Um, and then I grew up obviously in a, in a largely criminal family, a criminal environment, very, um, very prone to violence. Everybody, and many of my uncles have been to prison. So it was something that, you know, was pretty common uh, and, the, and not just for my family, but families that were that I knew kids that I went to school with things. So it is very similar stories. So that led to, um, you know, a final, uh, confrontation I had when I was 18 and basically I got cornered by, you know, I was being stalked by one guy and this went on for quite a while, probably about six months. I had trouble with this guy. Uh, he was much bigger, hundred pounds bigger, you know, five, six years older. And, um, it, it basically, you know, found it, it reached a peak one night and uh, he cornered me. And I noticed when he cornered me, he was extremely drunk, extremely intoxicated, extremely high, very amped up. Uh, it was very late. This was back in, you know, 92, 93, 93, something like that. Um, but anyway, he, uh, there, there was no cell phones. There was no, you know, it wasn't the same world as today. So if you were, if you were stuck somewhere and you were stuck there without a car, you were stuck, you know, it wasn't yeah, like, you, right. pick up, you know, pull something out of your pocket and call Uber. But, um, so I was stuck there and, uh, I got cornered and I noticed that when he cornered me, um, his two buddies had taken the car and backed it around to the back door. He was pushing kind of, corralling me through the house to the back room where the back door was. So I seen kind of like some plan formulating and because of what I had experienced and 
obviously members of my family and close friends of mine had been murdered. You know, when someone says they're going to kill me, which he had been telling me all night, uh, I didn't take it lightly. Right. And, um, you know, in that, in that environment, in today's world, it depends on where you're at. But a lot of people are like, oh, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. And you, you, you get desensitized to hearing those words because it doesn't mean anything. But trust me when I say at that time in that area, it meant something for us. Sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I took it very seriously. And, uh, you know, I preemptively prepped for an attack because I knew that uh, the odds were against me. I was by myself. I had no backup. There was three of them. All of them were bigger than me. And so I preemptively... Uh, prepared myself for an attack. I was witness coaching at this point by yelling to leave me alone, don't come close to me, leave me alone. Um, that didn't do any good because all that the witnesses ended up recalling was me standing over him, say, die, while I was stabbing him. So yeah, it didn't work, but right. I tried. There was a confrontation. He grabbed me and um, we, we started to fight and he pinned me against the wall. And then that's when I went to the blade. And I started on his uh, chest and worked my way up his neck, on the left side of his neck, and then up into his face. And then we went into a clinch, and I had to uh, change my grip on the knife and go to his back. So I'm reaching over him while we're in the clinch, and I'm, I'm hitting him in his back with the blade. Um, and then about 20, 22 stabs into it, he started to lose momentum. And, wow. Uh, he, went, he went down on a knee. And um, he was still trying to roll me down. And that's when I went to the other side of his neck and that finished him off. And so then I just grabbed him by his hair and dropped him backwards. So re really quick before you continue, do you, at that point in your life, um, <clears throat> had you had any formal, formalized training in terms of either hand to hand, you know, like boxing or any knife work, or was it really just growing up in that violent area and that violent time of your life? You just sort of kind of pick things up, so to speak. Um, it was both. It was okay. both. I had um, I had one uncle who was uh, one of the most well known fighters in town. Like he was an incredibly, incredibly tough dude. I I've not met a fighter yet that that was as fearsome as him. He he hmm. was just. I seen him one night just completely annihilate six dudes in a Perkins parking lot at like three a.m. <laughs> wow. You know, it's like one of those like go eat after you go out to drink deals, and yeah, the, the fights usually happen at Denny's or Perkins if they didn't happen at the bar. So that night it did, and he just annihilated like six dudes, you know. And that was the one time I got to see it. I'd right. always heard the stories, but he taught me a lot. Um, and he was uh, he was into heavy into martial arts and, and isotonics and some yo some yoga poses and and things. I, I picked up some things off of him. Um, and then there was some boxing when I was younger. I'm, I'm from Youngstown. So that was Youngstown Warren area. We have at least a dozen world champs that came out of that area. So it's a big boxing yep. area. So, you know, had a little bit of that when I was, a, when I was a kid, but I wouldn't put myself in any category at 18 years old when this happened that, that would say I'm a trained fighter, you know, like I wasn't okay. anything close to that. And from, from this happening when, when you ended up, you know, having to go to, um, court and and deal with this it, it ended up with you serving some prison time absolutely so i was charged with attempted aggravated murder and i was facing 25 years and i ended up taking a plea deal for two to five for um aggravated assault yeah <clears throat> and uh that 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 was um that started when i was 19 
So I entered at 19 and I ended up doing the entire five since I was such a model prisoner. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, but I, you know, the part that was really sort of amazing to me, I remember back to the book was how you had all of this, you know, supporting storyline of this guy stalking you and you being backed in to that room. And, um, it was like the kitchen area, if I remember correctly. Right. Coming out of the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you had all of this, this information and all the storyline and, and you still ended up not being able to defend yourself and, and not serve prison time. Yeah. You make a great point in the book where you say <clears throat> people use the cliche of, uh, you know, tried by 12 rather than yeah. carried by six. And you make the point that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the time these things go to the plea bargain and like, you don't even get that option. And there's just so many, and we're going to get to it as, as we have to continue the conversation, but there's so many things that I feel like people don't realize that <clears throat> when violence happens, there are so many twists and turns that can happen from the start to the, to, to the final conclusion. And, you know, it's, it's not this straight and narrow path that people think that it's just this, you know, start here and there. And the book does a great job of, you know, of covering a lot of this, but you know, ultimately you wound up, it didn't matter that you were defending yourself. You wound up doing five years in prison. Yeah. That that's, and that is the point. And that's a twist that you got to prepare for. Right. The fight after the fight. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I want to make it clear that, um, you know, I did, I did completely act in self-defense. I didn't go look for this guy. I didn't, right. I, uh, I didn't, I tried to avoid this fight as much as I could. Um, and uh, this guy continually sought this out. So he deserved every single thing he got. And when he wakes up every day and looks in the mirror and sees all those scars, I hope he thinks about me every single day for the rest of his yeah, life. Right. Right. And he deserved every single thing he got. And I don't feel bad at all for defending myself. Um, what I will say though, is that the, the court system is a, is a monster. Yeah. We're, we're experiencing you know, that now, you know, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, second amendment on this podcast. And, you know, we're experiencing that on, on our second amendment rights all across the country oh, and, yeah. you know, multiple States. It, it is a monster and it's hard to follow. It's hard to maintain. It's hard to understand what the next steps are. But, you know, I mentioned earlier that I, I had read the book about six months ago and maybe a little longer than that even. And, uh, you know, one thing that I retained was how much mental strength it takes to be prepared for violence that you may have to commit. Right you have to have this mental strength so that you can protect or get home to your family if, if you're by yourself. But I wanted to see if you would, you know, just touch a little bit on that mental capacity and, and, you know, what it takes to be mentally prepared for the violence that you may have to yeah. uh, commit when that's the only option left. Um, for sure. Let me jump back just a little bit and finish sure. my thought on that first sure. part. Yeah, um, please. I want to emphasize that, you know, over you know, over 95% of, of charges in the United States end in a conviction through a plea bargain. Mm -hmm. So it, you, you have literally less than 5% chance when you get charged, you have a less than 5% chance in the first place of even getting out of it without a conviction. Um, and those are really scary odds and the system is set up in a way of overcharge or charge hard or multi-charge and then plea. And, um, and they intimidate you and try to, you know, absolutely be like, we'll take the rest of your life or we could just take a part of your life. Which one do you want? 
and everybody's always going to be like, just take a part of my life if I got to make a choice. Um, mm. and, and it can cost, you know, a minimum of $50,000 on up to hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight a jury trial. Sure. So in, in this country, you only have the rights that you can afford to defend in court. And there's a, the, the, the thing that I learned about the justice system through that is that the law has nothing to do with justice and justice has nothing to do with truth. And that is, that is, that those are the parameters when you enter a courtroom and you need to remember that. And a lot of people have, I wrote about in my second book, Beyond Uda, about the, um, the myth of, uh, the self-belief, belief of righteousness that, um, you know, you fall into this good guy syndrome where, well, I'm obviously the good guy. So if I ever have to do this, it's going to be obvious that I'm the good guy. And it's not, it's never, it's never that obvious. Sometimes it is, but it can be so convoluted and muddy and just, you know, I have a friend, a very close friend that just saw shot someone a couple months ago. He's facing 25 years now. He got jumped by multiple people, multiple people Jeez. and had him pinned against his car and he popped one of them in the leg. And, uh, and now he's facing uh, attempted murder. Like, to, or uh, aggravated assault with a firearm in Florida that's like 25 years. So the um, the system, you never know what's going to come out of it. And it's all arbitrary and it's all based on the opinion of the person. You get a very anti-gun, anti-self-defense prosecutor or, you know, judge and, you know, you're facing those things. So, you know, it, it's important to keep in mind um, when I went to court, I had you know, this guy came in and admitted in court on record that he had planned the attack on me, that he had waited until I was 18 to get me. The judge even stopped him and clarified and said, hey, wait a second, what do you mean get him? And he said, you know, get him. And he physically put his hands in the air like he was choking somebody like this. Mm. Put your hands on him. And the judge said, just because someone turns 18, you can't put your hands on him. It's still illegal. And he said, yeah, but at least you wouldn't be a minor. So the guy like he, he knew that it would be worse to do it to a minor than yeah, right. He didn't plan the whole thing. Like he he sat right, and when he said that, I was like, "Oh shit, this is in the bag," you know. And it wasn't like it. it That's crazy. <laughs> the first judge, the first judge was on my side. He was like, "This is BS." This guy, you know, he totally called him out in court about it. Right. But when I went to the when I got bound over to grand jury and went to the county court, I went in front of Wyatt McKay and Reader's Digest wrote an article about Wyatt McKay back in the 80s calling the hanging judge. <laughs> he freaking hanged everybody that came in front of him. Okay. So, you know, so that's the kind of stuff you're facing when you when you go to a court system, you know. And I had a uh, an old man folder knife with the wood handle and the brass ends on it, um, you know, literally like an old-timey folder knife. And uh, they made me out like I was carrying a, you know, a, a, a murder device that was designed just for killing people. <laughs> and uh, it was it was terrible. The things that I went through was absolutely terrible with the court system. Absolutely terrible. And none of it made any sense. They say stuff that doesn't make sense. There's no rationale to it. It's just like the things that they try to do to our Second Amendment's rights. And you sit back and you say, you have no jurisdiction to do this. You have no authority. There's just no basis. You're not stopping any crime by, you know, you, you're allowed to have this pistol, so-called pistol, quotation marks, but this short barrel rifle, you can't have it. It's literally the same thing. Like, Shit, the, the, the stuff doesn't make sense. And you sit back and you say, this makes no sense whatsoever. Well, guess what? That's the same court system you're going to face. And they're going to do stuff to you that doesn't make any sense. Right. And they get away with it. They get away with it. So that's an important thing to remember for your for your self-defense journey is that you got to have yourself completely prepared for that because you're going to be facing a court system with people who have no realistic idea of what violence is 
and they have no real idea of what truth and justice mean. Yeah, and I think I think going back, you know, to my question here a little bit, it just it's I think that violence and and what it mentally takes to get to that violence is a big a big part of what's missing in um, you know, people who think they can do this, <laughs> you know, or who think they they can, you know, protect themselves and and do the right thing. There is a huge amount of mental toughness that goes into that, right? So um, you know, I think you do a great job describing it in a book and I wanted to see if you, you know, could just, you know, I don't want you to give the book away. I want people to buy the book and read it, but, you know, give a little bit about, you know, what it takes to have that mental capacity to, to be able to commit that violence. So, um, you know, as an instructor over the years now, I've had this question posed to me many times about, um, you know, what can a person do to prepare for that? How do you get yourself mentally ready for that? Um, how do you find out if you're capable? You know, and there's no easy answer for this, and I don't think there's a blanket answer for everybody, mm-hmm. but there are some general things that you will need to have. Uh, you know, getting yourself set up for it happens in two ways. In my case, it was a system of um, nurturing that through my environment and my childhood and what I grew up in and the violence I grew up in, the violence I suffered as a kid, the abuse, you know, stuff like that. Um, there was uh, a, a tremendous amount of conditioning that went on that by the time I got to that point where I had to defend myself on a lethal level, it really wasn't that difficult for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you were like hardened almost right at that point. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then when I got to prison, it was also easier, much easier uh, even though I had a little bit of a rough time at first, being a 19-year-old kid and I'm small, you know, I was small on the smaller side for the guys in there, and uh, and you, there's a quick, there's a very hockey stick learning curve that you that hits you in the face when you walk into penitentiary. But I was much, much more well prepared for that because of what I had been through, and also, you know, I, I stabbed a guy 23 times to get there. It's not like you're just going to roll up on me and do whatever, right? Because I'm, I'm already proven I'm a violent person. So, right, right. Um, so I had that to my advantage, and I, and I'd proven to myself and to the world. And when they check your papers, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, this guy, you know, legit violent dude." So, um, the other way that you achieve it is harder because it's the act, it's going to apply to most of the people listening to this and most of the people I've taught over the years is that they didn't come from that environment. They don't have that experience. They're not trained fighters. They're not experienced fighters. They're not street fighters. They don't have that background of conditioning. So they're trying to just get to a place where they can be better prepared for it so they can protect themselves and protect their families. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we make that happen for them? that's a much more difficult thing. And I, and I talk about that in depth in the second book again, and, and the orientation of how you change your value systems, your, your experience, it, you, it equals your confidence sure. and all the things that go into your decision-making. So those are the things you need to start working on. So if you yeah, have no experience, you go spar, you go train, you go to the range, you go take classes, you, you fill that experience as much as you can. And I, highly suggest force on force and sparring because that's the only, that's the only way you can get closest to it without doing it. Yeah. It's not, it's not as easy as just saying in your mind, you can do it. <laughs> no, you need to build the orientation. You need to build the, the, you need to build the decision-making um, uh, structure that is going to drive the decision-making in the, in the 
in the high stress moment. Th- this is this is the point where Mike says that you know why Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is so great. Well, <laughs> you, you know what's funny? You brought it up this time instead of me. Uh, <clears throat> so what what I find interesting with these kinds of things, like sparring, like Jiu Jitsu, like boxing, like uh, force on force, or you know any kind of like um, training like that, is by nature, it's it's hard to put yourself through uncomfortable situations on purpose. Yeah. And so part of that inoculation is becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? So like for those of you that do train jujitsu and Varg, you can probably speak to this a bit too. It's like the, the idea of when you're first under pressure, when someone's, you know, pinning you, pinning pressure. Uh, I know personally, like I was actually claustrophobic of being like under another person's weight. Like it was, I actually like had, for lack of a better word, I would say panic attack. And I had someone tell me a ways back, no one's gonna let you die here. Like this is the training room. Just try to get comfortable when you're breathing heavy and that weight is on you, try to just slow your breathing and calm down. And it took a long, really long time. And sometimes I still like, you know, mentally I have to like readjust myself. But that idea of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, whether it's going and taking a course that makes you nervous to take or whatever it may be, you, you really owe it to yourself to put yourself through that. Keith, maybe for you, it was taking that night course. You were uncomfortable, right? Like we talked about that, but you went through it. And yeah. now now yeah, you, you're you more comfortable with it. So it, it, would you agree with that, Varg, that that idea of putting yourself through uncomfortable positions is what sort of inoculates you to that possible stressor? I do, I do. Um, I, I, I probably disagree to the extent that that jujitsu takes you there with you. Um, Just one example. The general pre- preference. Um, I think two places where, if you if you're only going to jujitsu, two places where you're gonna sh- you're gonna fall short is that. Um, and and I know people are gonna argue this, and that's fine because I, I I've seen it. I've seen it enough over the years that uh, I really feel strongly that jujitsu in general lacks the. Um, it lacks the high level conditioning that you would get in say um, another sport like boxing or something like that. Uh, and it also, jujitsu is a, is primarily a zero damage game in training. So you, you get a little joint pain put on you or you get a little pressure pain put on you, but you know, you, you're not getting knocked around in a way that uh, like you would, if you get in, you go 60, 70% with somebody in a striking situation where you're going to take some blows and, and lose some brain cells and it's going to, you know, it, it's, it's a, there's a damage situation going on there. So, um, the other thing for me, I've done both. I spent, you know, time in several different jujitsu schools over the years and I've been in many different boxing gyms. Um, I always gravitate towards boxing gyms it's more where my roots are, but, uh, the way that I differentiated them also is by saying that for me and from what I observe from the people around me, jujitsu is a is a is an, is a fun experience. It's a fun it's fun to go do. There's a com- camaraderie. Everybody's generally very helpful. Um, they're going to take care of you for the most part. And uh, there's uh, it's it's just a it's a good experience. And if you go to a very serious boxing gym, it, it's most often it's not fun. It's not it's not something that it's you get more into the uncomfortable zone in my opinion than you do in a friendly atmosphere when i go to the box gym especially i like to gravitate towards box gyms that are closer to the rougher parts of town 
um, the dirtier, grungier gyms with the kids coming in there that come from backgrounds a lot like mine, and the young kids have nothing to lose. Right. And so as soon as you walk in, you're getting sized up, and you're getting looked at, you're getting watched, you're getting stared at. People are trying to pick your style already, you know, because they're already thinking about kicking your ass in the ring. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? It's not. There's not. I mean, there's some camaraderie, but it's not like jujitsu. Jujitsu is a very very tight network. It definitely is. And, and for the record, um, for just, this is more for the listener, but I don't subscribe to the idea that jujitsu is a one size fits all. And there's things that it's not good for, right? So it's not good for multiple attackers. Um, you're much better off staying on your feet and striking if that were the case. But I do think that there's a place for it. And I think, um, learning, I actually think learning striking and grappling is probably the ideal if you have the time and the, you know, the time and the opportunity to do it. But I definitely don't disagree with what you're saying. And I do think part of the reason a lot of people, um, I'm an older guy, not not ancient, but I mean, I'm not a young guy. And the one thing that I think there's an allure with jujitsu is that because you're not taking massive trauma, you can do it longer, right? Like you can do it five days a week if you want to. Your body will hold your up Your body longer. will hold up longer. And so there is that, but it will not, to your point, necessarily put you through the stress that um, a striking sport would. So I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, um, and we're talking about the uncomfortable, the, the, you know, getting the uncomfortable part. So that's why right. I was making that differentiation there. But I agree with you that getting uncomfortable is part of it, but that's only a part of it. There has to be there has to be learning objectives and, and um, you know, orientation objectives to reach through that where you're changing. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, conditioning yourself to your value system change, especially how you value human life. Because in order to be effective at lethal for self-defense you have to have a sliding skill of the valuation of human life or you're not going to be successful in the decision making part of it so i'm i'm really glad you brought that up because early on in the book one of the things you talk about is sort of knowing your mission and so this really spoke to me because i've always felt this way so for a lot of people that mission and you again you say this as well is simply to protect themselves and their loved ones right like if you're not in a tactical position like a law enforcement or military your mission is probably to get home safe at night and to keep your loved one safe. And so you lay out this sort of three-stepped outline based on the changing objectives, which, you know, could be, and it could be, you know, starting off with avoidance. And then if you can't avoid, maybe you get entangled or, or, or you're in a situation and then it, you know, could be escape. And then the third part of that objective is if you have, if you have no other choice and you're in a fight is to win that fight. And so I feel like a lot of people spend all their time thinking and planning for the fight part. But in my opinion, they fail to realize how important that avoidance step is. So can you talk to us about that avoidance and possibly escape and why that's so crucial? Because you, you, it's really an important uh, concept in, your, in your, your methodology and in your book. So if you could kind of touch on that a bit. Yeah, so I'll preface that by saying, you know, that, my personal costs from violence have been massive and my life was ruined in many different ways and irreversible ways that I still feel the fallout of today, 25 years after being released from prison and 30 years after having any charges or any trouble with the law, I still have trouble and I still have things that affect my life in very negative ways. I also have PTSD and trauma and, you know, different, uh, damages to myself, my body, injuries, things like that from living that life and going through that. So 
when I tell you that avoidance and evasion are important, they should be your first two choices when possible, it's to help you avoid those lifelong or life-altering um, events and, and experiences that can absolutely ruin your life. You know, And you have many different ways. People look at fighting and self-defense as a very simplistic thing. I'm going to defend myself and win. But you have to win the physical fight and then you have to win the legal fight and have no criminal charges. You have to have no civil charges that'll try to bankrupt you and take everything from you. You have to win the social part of it, which means that if you killed somebody in self-defense, you might lose your job because jobs kind of feel weird about people that kill people working for them. <laughs> and you might lose your friends. You might lose people in your family that don't want to talk to you anymore. Uh, there's the financial consequences. You know, there, there's the psychological consequences where you have nightmares, you have the lasting effects of PTSD, you have fears and triggers and all these things that happen to your brain. You know, this, these are the realities of violence. And that's the, the part that people who glorify it or simplify it, they don't emphasize these things. So having experienced them firsthand and very extensively, I put the, the ways to avoid those things at the forefront of the teaching and the lessons because if it is at all possible, if the only thing that's going to get hurt by you avoiding or evading is your ego, then you need to avoid or evade, hmm. you know, yeah. you're not going to get damaged and no one that you, that no one else is going to get damaged that you care to protect, then get out of it because it's not, it's, believe me, violence is going to affect your life. Whether you win the fight or not, you're going to have negative consequences. You did a great, so you do, you do some podcasting yourself and you have in the past, as I mentioned earlier, and you did a, um, a kind of a hot take after the, uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock on, on, uh, <laughs> whatever that was the Grammys or whatever. And you did, you kind of covered this, this is, you know, conversation we're having now was kind of in there and anyone listening should go and go to Varg's, um, website, vargfreeworn.com and, and listen to that. It was excellent. I, I, you know, it was really, really well done. And you talk about how a lot of people, you know, talk about the, you know, I, I wish a guy would kind of stuff, but the reality of it is like, you really don't want that smoke, you know? And I've told this story Varg on the air, so I'm not going to go into detail on it, but um, I was in a situation with my family, young kids, wife, my father-in-law and a cousin in Philadelphia. And a guy kind of came over. He was mentally not stable, I think under, under the influence as well. And he was really put trying to push buttons and long story short, we, you know, we kind of just walked away and just said, it's not worth it. And we all walked away, but not before a little bit of like, I would call frustration more than anything. And when we were done, all the men that were there, uh, I think felt a little sort of like ego hurt. Like, you know, I kind of like felt like we all felt a little, like we should have done more. But I remember saying to one of the the other men that was there at the end, like, look at the house we're in right now. We're in a beautiful house. We have beautiful families and we're all okay. And the only thing we lost was, you know, a little bit of uh, maybe an ego boost, but in the end, wasn't it worth it? You know? And so I can honestly say I've lived through that situation where I kind of turned the other cheek and walked away. And I can tell you it definitely is worth it. Yeah. And and I can't emphasize enough too that um, another reason that I really like full contact sparring that has a little bit of damage factor to it, I personally need to do it. Now I, I'm 
by no means do I put myself out there as a role model for people. I'm not part of the the man the 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 male influencer type of you know nonsense that's going on out there now. I don't put myself out as a model for how people should live, but I come from a different world than most of the people in this space. Everybody's coming from institutional backgrounds, gym backgrounds, military, police, stuff like that. And I'm coming from the streets and from prison. And so I do have a little bit different of an attitude. And I have a, 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 you know, that convict is always going to be alive inside of me now. And so I struggle with that. If I'm out somewhere and somebody kind of disrespects me, there's a part of me that, that definitely wants to handle that, definitely wants to deal with that. Because I grew up in and spent my whole formative years in, a, in an environment where allowing disrespect to slide had very dire consequences. Mm-hmm. So you had to deal with it and you had to have consequences for disrespect because there was no other way for you to maintain a, a decent position in the hierarchy and have a, a, a somewhat comfortable life. So when I'm talking to people about controlling themselves and controlling their ego, I'm talking from a perspective of someone who struggles to do it every day. And, uh, and I'm not, uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to be a role model, so I don't feel bad about that. I have, I have very good reasons for having the attitude and the, and the perceptions that I have. But what I also know is that when I go, I'm 48 years old, and I still go and get in the ring with 20, 22-year-old fighters that have been fighting for seven, eight years, and they're better than me. And, um, and I, I get in there and hang still, so I'm very proud of that. But I get knocked around a little bit by a 20, 22 year old kid and it humbles me and reminds me maybe I shouldn't talk so much shit when I'm out. At yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get, I might get my head knocked off very easily by somebody who's, you know, better or quicker or faster than me. And so you, you just don't know what that per- you don't know what the other person is capable of period, what they have weapon wise, what their training is, what their strength is. You just don't know those things. Exactly. Exactly. And you got to find ways if you have trouble controlling yourself, uh, my advice to you is to go find ways to calibrate that and humble yourself. Get somebody, get someone else to knock you around. Put yourself in a position where you get knocked around, and it will humble you and remind you that mm-hmm. when you go out, maybe don't be so quick to to jump into something because you don't know who you're going to come up against. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good segue from my next question. Here is, you know, obviously you mentioned this in uh, the latter part of the book, uh, "Violence of the Mind." training and preparing for these, uh, you know, these steps and, and, and that it's important. So, you know, can you kind of give uh, a little bit of maybe uh, your best suggestion on, you know, where should people focus first and maybe uh, maybe like a, a, tra- a training program in a perfect world that you would you would give somebody? <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, that's that's mostly what I do now. Consult with people for that very, very thing. Uh, and so. My number one is your, your strength and your fitness, your health, are the foundation for everything that comes after that. So, you know, if you're incredibly out of shape and you try to go out on the range and do work on the range, it's going to show up pretty quickly. And by, you know, six, seven hours into a class, you're going to be falling apart and not able to even continue to do what you're doing. Um, and, and if you're doing that within the first hour or first half hour of class, you're definitely in, in the kind of shape that's not going to be conducive to not only you defeating an attacker someday, but to you beating heart disease and, and, and any other kind of thing, obesity or diabetes, that's going to try to take you out. Right. So your health and your fitness are number one. And honestly, in terms of hand to hand combat, 
if you go to the gym and go hard on a very good periodized program that has good objectives that's stretched out over the long term and it's periodized properly, you will get strong enough to be able to handle the average crackhead that would uh, that would try to accost you somewhere. Just going to the gym, you know, and if you roll around, I, I live in Daytona Beach and we have a big homeless problem, a lot of drugs, just like anywhere else these days. And uh, you you look at the the physical makeup of most of these people, I, I would I would physically crush them. You know what I mean? Like there's there's just you, my physical fitness and my strength alone are enough to carry through that fight. So that's the number one thing: get on a good program that's intelligently programmed with good periodization, with good goals. That's going to help build the the joints, the connective tissues, the small musculature around the joints, and then build strength. You know, don't jump right into like one rep maxes and stuff. That's another thing I've got with jujitsu. Like people get off the couch and go get these huge loads put across their joints with no preparation. Mm-hmm. Go do the fitness part first. Get that going. Then you want to have your weapons. You want to have some grappling and some striking. Try to mix all of that in as you can. I know a lot of people don't have a lot of life to give to this stuff. But if you can have some weaponry work, some grappling work, or some at least some clinch work, and some striking work, you know, that would be the perfect program. So, you know, strength and fitness, weapons, grappling and striking, and you're covered. Now, that's an ideal situation. You asked for the perfect program. Yeah, yeah. That would be it, right? That's what I try to do. Really quick before you move on to the next part of this, do you think that someone who, you know, spends a, a decent, let's say, you know, they get themselves in decent physical shape, they've, you know, they have a year of let's say striking under their belt, you know, periodic striking and they have a, you know, a year of grappling and they have a year of, you know, they've maybe taken five, six firearms courses. Do you think that like that is a pretty well-rounded individual at that point? A year, I wouldn't say in a year. I okay. Mean, that's I think what I'm asking. I guess in, like, how much time would you say? Um, well, obviously in, 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 in the arts and we're talking about gunfighting uh, and blade fighting striking grappling the more time you put in the more expert you become right so um i it's like it's like with you know anything in physical development if powerlifting was your goal like if you came to me i've never powerlifted i've never done that i would train you you wouldn't even see a one rep max for eight to eight months to a year with me right because you're not even there yet you know and then it and then for those guys to hit elite level it's another eight years of training right so it's the same way with jujitsu. Like you're not going to be a black belt in the first year, right? So with anything, it's more time. But it, instead of looking at it like that, I would suggest that we look at it like, uh, you know, more of lifetime. And I'm just putting in my time until until my my card is checked, and I'm just you know putting in the work yeah. to be the best I can. And in a year's time, are you better off than you were the year before that? Absolutely, and that's yep. where you want to be each year. Yeah, there's um. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, it, it's a quote from uh, Jock, Jocko Willink. And he says something about like, you know, people who say, well, you know, what, am, how much am I going to, how much better am I going to be in six months? And he's like, you plan on, you plan on getting in a fight in six months? He's like, you may not get in a fight in the next 10 years. He's like, but how much better can you be in six months? And then, you know, you get through that six months and then how much can you be in the next six months? So I, I like that approach of like, it's a lifetime, right? And Hopefully you never need any of it, but if you constantly are training, you know, maybe you get, maybe you get in a, in an altercation in five years. Well, five years, if you started five years earlier, you're probably getting, you know, much more formidable than if you had, uh, than if you hadn't started. 
So I, I really like that approach. It also, it's also going to show on you. You know, like when I walk out, you know, I I still run around. I'm a single guy. I live in Daytona Beach. It's a, it's a rowdy city. Um, it's it's always in the top three, of the most dangerous cities in Florida. Like, you know, I go I go bar hop on my bike. You know, I, I walk in places where stuff happens, and you. It's a different story when you take care of yourself and you have some capabilities. That's going to begin to show on your skin. Mm-hmm. It's going to show in your presence. It's going to show on you. And we don't have time to get in deep into the weeds about covert and overt deterrence and all that. But just being able to have a little bit of presence about yourself will ward off a lot of the low-level problems that you might have had anyway. Right. So you might not even have a confrontation that you would have had if you would have stayed deconditioned and, and within, without any confidence or capabilities walking around the way you used to. But now you're trained. You got a little bit of confidence. You carry yourself. You've sparred. You've you've went hard with other humans. You've taken a little bit of damage. You know what it feels like. You're not afraid to get hit. That's going to show on you. Mm. And so that that kind of um, that kind of presence will emanate out, and and it can help avoid some of the low level stuff that you might have experienced anyway. So mm. you know, there's benefits to that in that effect too. That's yeah. what happened to you in Philly, Mike. Is you didn't have enough of that presence, <laughs> and he heard your order, and he said tomatoes and lettuce on my Philly cheesesteak. This guy's got no presence. I'm out of here. <laughs> All I'm going to say is don't knock it till you try it. Throw, <laughs> throw, throw some lettuce and tomato on out of cheese. It's good. Um, so obviously, like we're here, we're talking about the mental preparation for violence. And, you know, now we're, we're, we're getting into the weeds a bit on the, uh, the hard skills, um, whether that's, you know, fitness or, you know, combatives, firearms training. I would even throw in first aid is like something I always say people should definitely get a little training in. But when it comes to training, you stay in violence of mind that speed becoming automatic is important. And you use a great analogy of the idea of um, hitting the brakes in a car, right? Like that when something runs across your car, you just kind of automatic, it's, like auto- it's time, automatic, yeah. right? Because you've done all these little reps of using the brakes. So, but can you kind of explain why this is important and, and more on that philosophy? So this is a big pet peeve of mine because the industry, the training industry loves to attack the old to, to create artificial relevance for the new sometimes. And uh, so they go after s- phrases like um, slow, slow is smooth and smooth is fast and things like that. Um, and, and yes, we know that those words don't mean the same thing. We didn't need anybody to come and create podcasts to tell us that those words <laughs> have actual defin- different definitions in, in the dictionary. But what it it's like the brake pedal analogy you no one that i know has went out in, in in average driving you know um situations and practice slamming on their brakes periodically for sessions right you know go hit 50 miles an hour and slam on your brakes and do that a bunch of times like everybody learns to drive in pretty much the same manner and it's uh you know a, a lift from the gas pedal press down on the brake pedal it's you know but when you need it and it's an emergency, you're, you don't, your body is going to be fast because that pathway, thousands and thousands of repetitions of doing it slowly and smoothly every day of your life, driving to work, driving home from work, driving to the store, everywhere you drive, thousands of repetitions of slow, smooth brake pedal presses. And that is all you needed that when the moment came, you were able to, bam, that's it. The brake pedal's there. You know where it's at. Your body gets there fast and presses it. And it's the same thing in developing speed with the gun and speed with anything else. You know, I like to work on um, 
smooth, fluid movements and make sure that things are proper. You know, if you're talking about a draw stroke, that each movement is efficient and, and it can get you to where you need to be in space and in, in the grip that you need to be in with your sights, where they need to be in your eye on your eye line and you're bringing it out and you see the target, you see your sights, you see this target through your sights. That is, you know, it, it becomes fast after many, many, many smooth repetitions of that. You can become faster and faster and faster at that. And it's a very basic principle. It's a very basic principle. And we, we talk about that in boxing, you know, where guys go in and the first thing you want to do is go and murder the back. And it's like, hey, slow down, you know, slow down, ease up, work on your technique, work on your, your footing, work on getting your shoulder, your body, get your hips, get your twist, get your, get all the pieces where they need to be. And you need to calibrate yourself back out of the speed and power so that you can focus on those things first. Then once you are, are good with your technique, you're good with your footwork, you're good with your, 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 your kinesthetic awareness where your body is and how to put it into positions it needs to be in to use the most uh, power and efficiency, then you can start putting the gas pedal on and, and get faster and, and work on your speed and your power. But it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the more smooth, correct repetitions we do of something, we're burning that pathway in, that neural pathway, that myelination of those, of those neural pathways. We're making that a, a thing that our brain understands. Then it can become an automatic level. The day you need it, it's like, bang, you snap your finger the time you snap your finger, you've already achieved a grip on the gun that the, the shirt is up. The gun's going to come out with the most efficient draw stroke, right up, targets on sight. Everything's going to be there when it needs to be there. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you practice that on the range at speed also. So I'm not saying you never practice fast, but I'm saying don't outrun your headlights and practice so fast that you have no follow through or that your, that your transition you know, from the holster to uh, line of sight is trash, right? And it's never the same. It's never repeatable. You're always going a different way and tilting a different way, you know, swoop in or push in or flip in, you know, it, and there's nothing repeatable about what you're doing. So right. achieve smooth repeatability first and then put the gas pedal for speed and power. And that's basically with anything. It's the same thing with, you know, weightlifting. It's the same thing with boxing. And it's, you know, I'm sure people can apply those principles to jujitsu. Like it's, it's, just something you need to do correctly and then worry about speed and power as you become more reliable in your correct movement. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to put it. So I mean, we're talking a lot about violence. We're talking a lot about fighting, uh, you know, pretty heavy topics. Uh, I want to get to a kind of a fun segment and then we're going to talk more about um, immersion programs and, um, you know, we can get into all that stuff. But before we do, uh, where can people find you if they're looking to train with you or, you know, get your books and so on and so forth? I kind of despise social media. I You're, think that thank you. these corporations <laughs> are incredibly evil. Yeah, Keith is, working, is on board with you. Yeah, they're working in concert with a corrupt government. Um, and so we have to be very careful of that stuff. So you might not find me on social media very often. Um, but bargfreeborn.com, my website is always up, and you can always reach me through email through there. I don't advertise a lot of training these days, um, but I am training all the time. So there are training opportunities and I will post things up on the website and you can always email me and ask me what I've got going on or how I can help, 
your particular situation and we'll put something together for you. I also have uh, my online strength and fitness coaching program that I do. So we've got that a component of it plus the um, the other trainings that I offer. So any of those you can all find through the website. You got any, any new books coming out? Well, I'm working on a third book, but it's not about violence. Not, not That's directly. Okay. Uh, I have yeah, to say, I, I supplement my reading, in ter- meaning I, I'm, I have a pretty long commute, so I, I listen to audiobooks, and then I you know read some at home as well and kind of go back and forth. And it's amazing hearing your voice after listening to Violence of the Mind because you, you uh, self-narrate the, the book. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like yeah. it's, it's kind of interesting hearing your voice again, like, and I'm like, I'm remembering things that, you know, you said in the book or read in the book. Yeah, it's interesting because with the audio book, people will write me, people email me all the time. And I get the crazy, I get some really crazy emails on it. Once you, once you put yourself out there, like becoming an author or something, it is, it's like a magnet for crazy people. <laughs> I'm sure of that. <laughs> it, 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 I, I could tell you stories, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but the voice thing is interesting because I had a guy, I even had a guy from, um, from Mexico, like emailed me one day out of the blue and he's like, Hey, I just had to throw a chair through a window to flee for my life. And the whole time I was doing it, I could hear your voice inside my head. And I was asking <laughs> myself, what would Varg Freeborn do? You know? And That's I was funny. like, That's cool. Yeah, no, I was thinking to myself, dude, you're you're throwing chairs through windows in Mexico. You probably live in a harder life than me. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you were you were there to walk yeah. him through it, you know? Yeah. yeah. You, I told him you did a great job. It sounds like you're doing good, man. So keep that's, it up. That's great. So listen, I want to get you to run a gun. Let's do this. So it's 10 questions, rapid fire. Keith's going to time it. There, There is a whole list of- I am going to time it. I forgot. Yeah, come on, Keith. Don't, don't fall asleep <laughs> on the job. Give you, give you one job, man. You can't screw this up. Number one, what is your favorite gun in your personal collection? Uh, DDM4 V7 uh, lightweight. What gun would you buy if money was no object? Mm. Oh, we think a mini. A mini. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Mm. Man. Bruce Lee. Favorite caliber? Nine millimeter. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Motorcycles. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. All hell breaks loose. Is it better to be armed or trained? Trained. Is it better to be loved or feared? Feared. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Rifle. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse, girlfriend? My closest friend. Let's mix it up. All right. I have to say Bruce Lee's that that's you that is the first time that has ever been said. That was cool. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So we're gonna get into Let's Mix It Up, but before we do, Let's Mix It Up is brought to us by fourpatriots.com. Four pa- Four Patriots provides long-lasting and delicious food options that are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it most. Keith and I have tasted their food and we're very very impressed it's delicious and nutritious keith loves that <laughs> and it comes at a great value head over to fourpatriots.com and make sure that when the time comes 
your family is prepared for the worst. Be sure to get 10% off anything you order with our discount code Gun Experiment 10. Varg finished a little bit above uh, Clint Smith at a minute and 13 seconds. Okay. All right. Oh. <clears throat> you know Clint? Yeah, so I beat Clint. You, you beat, did. He you was a minute 32. Take that, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So on this episode of Let's Mix It Up, we're going to discuss Varg's new immersion training program. And so little little background in this. So we were getting ready for the show. And I was poking around and, uh, man, you're not lying. Your Instagram account is like shut down. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot on social media, but your website is excellent. Very informative. Um, I would recommend anybody go there and, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you can buy books there, there's podcasts, there's videos, there's blogs. It's very, very good. But the very first thing I see on the homepage is that you are now offering a full immersion training program. So I, I see that. And I start to read it and I have to tell you, I was like, whoa, this shit is no joke. <laughs> so you flat out say like, basically like you're going to live with Varg for, uh, for a couple weeks. And, uh, and it, it's amazing. Like it, the program is very well spelt out. Um, I'm going to let you just kind of talk about it for a little bit. Cause I think it's really cool and, uh, talk about where it came from and, and then, you know, we'll just kind of like, you know, rap about it a little bit. Yeah, so so the program I'm running now, um, I just actually had a client here this week. They just left yesterday, and I got um, uh, I got a couple weeks off, and then I got a couple more clients coming back to back. But uh, it's basically I, I have anything from one day up to two weeks, and you come here. You're you you are here with me. If you want to get a room at a nearby hotel, you can do that, or you can stay with me and have meals with me. That's that's a courtesy as part of the program. But basically, it's uh, it's an all-encompassing program. You're with me 20, 24 hours a day, and we will train every single day, and we'll cover uh, – I have a, a full access range here that we'll have to our private use. It'll be just us there. We can run and gun. We can do literally whatever we want there. Do, do we get to work and hang out like with some motorcycles and stuff like that? Absolutely, or? yeah. So, so we, have the, we have shooting, we have striking, and I work with uh, – the Hagler family has a gym here. And if you want to have a full immersive boxing experience, I can even set up. Uh, if, if I can even set up a sparring session with with the fighters on, on one of the nights, uh, you can have a full experience there. You can have a session with the coach there. You can work striking with me here. We do um, go through training about resistance training, and I do classroom and um, hands on. So you learn practical applications of programming, how to periodize, how to set up, for the, and the differences between strength building, bodybuilding, you know, injury prevention, things like that. So we cover all of those. Um, and we do some force on force work and we also get into practical skills. So I, I have a shop set up here. I build motorcycles and work on different projects and, and build things. So we can do, um, welding, TIG welding, MIG welding, cool. And, uh, or, or any lumber construction, wood construction, uh, any of those projects you want to learn, you want to learn how to TIG weld or MIG weld or do a little project while you're here, we do that at night. Uh, and we also have the beach here, and we also have cigars and whiskey. So there's all of that, too. Yeah, I was going to say, so is it all like kind of just like, you know, you're 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 living the training life 24-7, or like are you kind of having some fun with this, too? Because two weeks is a long time, right? So mm. you're hanging out with somebody. Like, is it, what's some of the fun that you guys do when you're with people? Well, the fun is like you get to sit down and have – um you know, more drinks than usual with me, <laughs> whatever you want, right? Like so we can talk about, you can sit down and talk with, we'll sit on the back porch 
and we will talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. And I, I will, you know, oblige you in any way that I can with the conversation. Um, and then the beach is right here. I'm 10 minutes from the beach. Uh, there's lots of nice bars down there to have a margarita, have a cigar and a margarita overlooking the ocean on the pier. Nice. Um, you know, have a beach day, you know, whatever. There's so many things to do here. This is, uh, this is Daytona beach. So it's a tourist spot. So it's a great place to come in the first place. It also works out too. If you guys want to come and like, you know, some of my clients do where they're like, Hey, family vacation, I'm going to go train with Varg, you and the kids go down to the beach and, you know, and so you get that uh, and you can mix it up a little bit. I get some people that take off an early evening and go hang out with their family. Like, so they, so you can bring the family and do a dual vacation thing while you're here training. So it's a good location for it. But yeah, we do have a lot of fun. It's not just where I could, I would crush people if I just worked them for seven to four right. days. Like, right. I'd have a little fun. Yeah. yeah. What's, and is there, uh, like, what are the varying levels of people in fitness and, all those skills, like where, where is it fallen so yeah, far? What have you, what have you, what have you found? Um, you can, you know, you're welcome to come in any condition as far as that goes. But, um, I've had from, uh, from somewhat deconditioned to, you know, pretty, pretty in shape fighters come so okay. far. And, uh, and it, the, the program took off quick. It was faster than, than I expected. As soon as I put it on my website, like people were, you know, calling me and, and people were calling me from other countries, you know, and, and then I'm like, oh, ITAR, shit. You know, I, I so. have to say, like, it, it's a cool concept because w what I find interesting is, you know, like, you, you go down to, to hang out with you and do this. And, like, let's be honest, you know, you're not going to learn enough welding to, like, you know, go go open your own uh, shop the next day. And you're not going to get enough boxing to, you know, go get in the ring with a – you're not going to be a professional boxer at the end of this. And you're not going to be – Arnold Schwarzenegger by the end of it. But you mentioned the idea of kind of like, uh, cause I'm sure there's downtime where you're eating meals and you're having drinks and cigars. And there's a lot that goes into the, the mental part of this, you know, like it's just really, it's a cool concept in terms of spending time with somebody and, and getting to like the way that we're getting this, like sort of an intimate experience to talk to you on this show and pick your brain. It's only an hour, you know, hour, hour and 15 hour and 30 minute show. But two weeks. I mean, like, think of like the conversations you could have. Think about the, you know, the things oh, you can deep. talk about. It's deep. Yeah. I had one guy come in that was, uh, that had done time in the Middle East as a contractor and, you know, three or four Manhattans in, you should have been there for them conversation. I'm sure that's probably one. Of, is that your favorite part is getting to know people on that level? Dude. It is. Yeah. I, I love the training part. I love training people. And my goal is not to, like you say, you're not going to become an expert in anything in a week or two, but I, I'm, I'm equipping you with the knowledge. I tell you, bring a notebook, you're going to write all this stuff down. We do Build a lot a of team. lecture time. Yeah. So you, you definitely are going to learn enough to go train yourself forward and get better. You know, after you leave here, you could go to Harbor Freight and buy a little welder and start welding stuff in your garage for sure. You know, like, that's you could you'll you'll get enough here to know what to look for how to do it from there to get started to take yourself to the next level that that you're missing right now right i'll fill that gap for you i'll give you some structure in the beginning and and give you give you the right path the right things to look for and then from there that that that's easy for you to take it and say okay ha now i can build on this have you kept in touch with anyone to kind of see like hey are you still at it and you know have, has that happened or you know once they kind of oh, move yeah on? I still, I have people 
already wanting to come back. Like already that's cool. talking about the next time they're coming back. So that's cool. Can um, I ask what, like um, what the fee structure is? I mean, you, you feel free to say no to that, but you know, in general, is it like a per day kind of a thing? Cause you said it could go anywhere from a day to two weeks is how do you work that fee structure? Um, so there's a per day charge, uh, if you're going to do anything less than a week and then there's a week charge and then the week charges goes to double for two weeks. Okay. Uh, so it's a pretty, it, and it's very reasonable. Like it's very reasonable for what you get. And people, when I tell people the price, they, I've never heard anybody balk at it at all. They, people say I don't charge enough for it, um, wow. which is fine because I'm, you know, I'm in the, one of the things I've always done with my training is keep my, my prices a little bit lower. And it's not because I don't think I'm worth it. But it's because training becomes this thing that they, when you're doing it for a living, like instructors do in the training business, they they need to um, fill classes and be able to travel and do this. So it's this whole call to personality thing. And then you want the repeat trainers and the training junkies and stuff. And I really am not interested in training junkies. I'm interested in the average people that really want to get better and want that opportunity, they don't have $500 a day to go blow, blow on a class. It might be a young family, a young guys, you know, just has a young family is trying to get started in life, you know? And so I, I always want to stay accessible to people that don't have a bunch of uh, disposable income because those are the people in my mind that need the help the most. Right. Well, and you're, and you're giving, you're giving such a wide range of, uh, things like almost like a, a jack of all trains, master of none kind of thing. And, and I say that tongue in cheek a little bit, cause you're certainly a master in some things, but you know, you have had so many experiences over your life besides just this violence past, right? You know, like you said, you, you, you like building motorcycles, you, you're doing welding, you've worked on cars, you've done body work, you've worked for you guitars. Know, yeah. Guitars. Right. So like you have this, you know, you have all these different, Mike, you were commenting on it before we got on the show. Like you've lived like almost like a charmed lifestyle in terms of getting your hands on so many different uh, yeah. skills. Um, yeah. And those are all things that you can do during this, this two week time. Right. You know, one of the things I I've said, I said it earlier before you came on Varg is it's unfortunate the early part of your life, what you went through and it's unfortunate what happened to you when yeah. you were 18 years old. But I said, the one thing, like if there's something that come out of this and, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but when you've gone through what you went through, it almost is a freeing experience because like, if you want to start a business and you do it and it goes belly up and you lose a bunch of money, well, what's like, you've already lived through some of the worst stuff that could have happened to, to a human and yeah. like, what's the big deal? Like, so, you, so you'll make some more money or you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get a job and you'll, you'll rebuild a little bit. And so I feel like that has to be a very freeing experience. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I definitely, especially my younger years, I was definitely not risk averse at all. Like I, I wasn't afraid, like a, a business catastrophic business failure was like, okay, so yeah. we'll start again, you know, like right, it's, yeah, right. not a big, yeah, it's a, I know people lose everything. I've lost everything. So several times, you know, I've had, I had a custom car shop in Knoxville. I had a guitar business and a music store in Ohio. You know, I had a gym. I've had so many different things and, um, you know, and a lot of that's out of necessity because as a felon, it's very hard to get. Sure. Career. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very difficult. And I've been de denied many jobs, many, many jobs, rent places, you know, like it's just been, it's been very tough. So out of necessity, you have to become good at things and, and be diverse. Um, I also believe in diversity of income and diversity of skill because 
in today's world, nothing is certain. We live in, a, in, a, in an age of uncertainty for the future, uh, increasingly so, uh, especially dealing with a, a rogue, occupied, um, illegitimate government that we have. And uh, this this situation that we find ourselves in is that your job or your your livelihood could go out from under your feet at any time. Mm. So I like to have my hands in several pots so that uh, if one breaks, I still have something to put my hand in. Yeah, yeah, and I and this immersion, uh, you know, training can can sort of help guide some people and get them back on, you know, get into some sort of track of of like, hey, you know, you 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 got to have more than one one bucket to to be able to work on, you know. Yeah. Considering that, you know, you were in prison and that you, you've worked with some pretty high profile people in police departments and whatnot. How were you able to do all of that um, after coming out of prison? Like, because you, you to get a pistol permit, to get past background checks, like how were you able to get accomplish all that? This I'm glad you brought that up because this is very important because it would have left a lot of your audience being like, wait, how can a felon be on a gun show? Yeah. <laughs> so, so number one, I am a felon. It was never expunged, never removed, never diminished at all but i did have my rights restored by by the state that took my rights away so i can sit on a jury uh hold public office and own and possess firearms as law by state and federal law uh that was restored to me because i continued to fight my case after i got out even though that case was over and i'd served my whole time um and obviously they wouldn't open a case back up but they agreed to give me my rights back and restore my rights so in in a very rare case a violent felon was given the right to own guns again. And then I was um, granted OPADA, which is the same um, certification in the state of Ohio that uh, the police get, security guards and police, which is um, to, I, I used to go um, for secure, armed security. I never did uniformed armed security, but I did covert stuff for a little, bi- for a little while. Uh, and so then, how were you able to, le- how are you able to, kind of using the word kind of lightly, but convince them to give you your rights back. Like, how did you, how did you get that to happen? It's politics and placement. So I, I took the, I took the case up in uh, the court in, in Bowling Green, Ohio, which is a very, very rural farm town. And I used an attorney that was very close with the judge and very close with the prosecutor. So it was, uh, it's knowing how to use the legal system and not. Interesting. Int- very interesting. Yeah. So you pick your is going to make a difference for sure. Yeah, yeah. So Varg, I'm I'm very very appreciative and uh of your time and I want to respect your time, but uh before we go, I really want to give you the last word and and let you kind of say anything you would like to say before we wrap up. Yeah, so um I got a couple of things I wanted to to touch on. Is that is that okay if I just of, some thoughts? Yeah, of course, yeah. <clears throat> um so first of all on the on the restoration of rights thing, you know, um that is still problematic. I can't, there's a lot of states that don't respect that restoration, right? So even though my concealed carry, right now I have a concealed carry in Florida. I had one in Ohio and then I moved to Florida. I have one in Florida. So I'm obviously good in Ohio. I'm good in Florida. There's a couple other states I'm good in, but there's a lot of states that will not respect my restoration rights. So even though I have a concealed carry permit that reciprocates with that state, that state would still put me directly in prison for being a felon with a gun because they don't have a, a, a similar restoration uh, law that they would give full Got, credit, gotcha. which, which really sucks. But yeah. that's, that's why, that's why if anybody ever wondered why did Varg never come to my state to train? Well, that's probably why. Yeah. We've, so, we've heard stories like that. I mean, it happens frequently. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, and it's, and it's a very difficult thing to navigate until you really learn like where you're supposed to be and where you're not supposed to be. Uh, so that's, that's that part of that. Um, but now I focus more on, uh, you know, I'm, 
talking less and less about the violent stuff and more on trying to help people on a broader scale and deal with like resiliency and, um, you know, basically being industrious and being resilient and being able to push through hard situations, being able to get through catastrophic situations, dealing with trauma, dealing with tragedy and being industrious at the same time. And that's kind of the things that I'm, I'm focused on now. Uh, so a lot of people that I work with, you know, the, the, the fitness training, the gun training and the, the, the combatives and things are just avenues to broach that broader topic about, okay, you know, don't be one dimensional. And these guys get into the gun space and it, they only, that's like 24 hours a day. They're on social media talking about gun grip and holsters and this and that. And I could give two shits less, man. I, I have the same setup I've been carrying for years. I found something that works. I run it and I'm done. Like this is what I use. Right. And I look at new stuff that comes out every once in a while, something will come out that looks like it could make my job easier with what I've got in the line of the things that I use. I might adopt it. I might not, but definitely don't fall into the trap of like, one dimensional. All I think about is guns. All I think about is defense. All I think about is training. And I got to have the new stuff. I got to have this lights 200 lumens brighter than one I have. I got to have that, you know, like that. This don't worry about that stuff. You know, put, put your, put your time and your money into yourself and become more diversified in your skill sets. You know, be able, be able to fix things, become a useful person, be able to repair useful things or fix and build useful things, build some skills, because I'm telling you, you're going to need that very soon. We're facing some very hard times in this country and in this world, and it's going to come a time very soon where if you don't have any practical skills to do things in, in, in real time to fix things that you need or to have things that you need that you don't have and be able to create that or part of that or have some kind of a way to you know, push through those times to get what you need, if you don't have those, you're going to be hurting very badly. And so... Put your time into those things too. Don't be one dimensional about how you approach things. Now that you've discovered this world of self-defense and this world of, you know, guns and, and combatives and being stronger and having a stronger mindset and making yourself uncomfortable. Remember, there's all these other parts of life that you need to address too. And so don't forget about those parts of life. And don't forget about, you know, if you're on the internet 24-7 arguing about what, where you should put your holster and what kind of grip you want to use on your gun. Uh, uh, you know, who's playing with your wife's hair? Cause it's not you. Right. So, so keep that in mind, right? Like balance your life out, make sure you're addressing the things that need addressed in your life and, and make yourself a more well-rounded individual, you know, well-read, well-rounded, well-skilled and have useful skills outside of just defense. Everybody in an apocalyptic setting, everybody's like, oh, I got lots of ammo, lots of guns, and lots of MREs. Well, what, what what happens when your truck breaks and you can't go to AutoZone and buy another control arm? Can you weld it back together? Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, can you build a chicken coop? Like, learn how to do some things outside of that and make yourself useful in ways that are practical for daily life that you pour all of your time into something that you may never have that eventuality happen like a self-defense incident. But you definitely will have eventualities happen throughout life where you're going to need these other skills or these other parts of your life to, to be balanced. So my biggest point of advice is just to don't be one dimensional about this. Build yourself out. That's why the immersion training is kind of the overall goal. After you're here, you learned that that was the that was the overall goal is to to start one on, someone on a path of like building a, a very valuable well-rounded life that makes you a very useful person and it builds your resiliency, builds your self-sufficiency, 
build your autonomy so that you can be a very sovereign, independent individual in, in the truest sense because you're capable and you're balanced and you've not neglected certain parts of your life that are going to come back and bite you in the face when you know things hit the fan and you weren't prepared for that. Yeah. No, it's very, well, very, very well said and, uh, and you know, very wise words and I appreciate it. So Varg, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us tonight. Uh, the conversation was great. And uh, for many gun owners, you know, they want to train both mentally and physically for what may be the worst possible scenario, but you've lived through this exact type of situation. So your insight into violence, the mindset needed to avoid it and survive through it when all else fails is very, very valuable. And we genuinely appreciate you sharing your insight with us and, and to all of our listeners. So thank you so much for that. Uh, to everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, and Spotify so we can keep the conversation going. Varg, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.